0: I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This is Making a Difference, a podcast about people who are making change happen. On the show, you'll hear from people who are making a difference on a day-to-day basis, from the local level in their communities to change on a global scale. You'll learn what makes them tick and the values that are driving their actions. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. It follows that when someone has acquired a serious illness, they need care. Some of that care is provided by doctors, nurses, allied health professionals and paid personal carers. But a great deal is provided by unpaid carers who just find themselves in that situation. For some the role is brief, for others years. Some are prepared, some not. Some are capable, some less so. Some are confident, some are fearful. Martina Clark saw a need and established a support the carer's couch. This is its story. Hi Martina, great to talk with you. Just as a first question, can you give us some background as to what happened to prompt your interest in the role of carers?
1: Hi Steve. What prompted me initially was the passing of my friend Anula. We used to work together in the pharmaceutical industry 10 years ago and she got diagnosed with lung cancer 2013. And I was part of her intimate circle and support network. And in a way, not identifying myself as a carer at the time, because I was a close friend. And there were other family members more, I guess, involved in the physical care for her. But I guess around that time, from the point of her diagnosis to then her passing and beyond, where the interests in the role of the carer, or it was more apparent to me what's happening in an experience like that. So I guess i thought about the role of the carer after her passing more intimately.
0: Normally, we would think of carers as people caring for their parents or immediate family. What has that told you about how much more complex those relationships can be?
1: I guess I have experience in a lot of ways when it comes to family or now friends, because from the age of six, I had family either diagnosed or passing on cancer. So I took various roles during my life, experiencing different perspectives. I did, you know, not often, even given now being in Australia for a while, I was not physically or emotionally available to care with some of those. And with Anula being close to me and being here and me being available was a very interesting experience to start with because I could give my all from day one. When it came to the care of Anula, my experience was quite different because for the first time I was in a friend's role, supporting a friend, but I could see the family dynamics and, you know, how the husband, mother, father, brother and friends Differently interacted, different challenges, experienced different challenges. So I think that taught me a lot, that experience. Also being a friend and being recognized of a role of a carer was also interesting. I mean, I didn't recognize that role for a very long time and I was in it. Uh, as a friend and a woman of similar age to my friend uh, was probably also very significant because I could relate to her very much so. It was different to my previous experiences where family members were able to connect or relate as much. But from a friend perspective, a woman similar age, you know, in her prime, about to be a mum, it really hit me, hit me hard at the time.
0: What have you come to understand in terms of also the variations around the length of illness, the sort of the nature of relationships that carers have with the person for whom they're caring?
1: Yeah, I guess what I definitely can add to this is that the grieving process starts from day one, I think from the day of diagnosis, and all lives around the patient and for the patient changes at that time. So the grieving process, the understanding of what's next is usually very poor So you do potentially get a treatment plan. The family doesn't get the support plan necessarily from day one. And then it's around mostly the patient and organizing the care. And then as it goes through of either remission or in other cases, end of life, and then preparing for that or not being prepared for that, and then what's happening after, like even In the survivorship space or somebody you love passing, it's a constant grief process, actually. You're losing the relationship to yourself, potentially, you know, to other networks you first were connected to or loved. It's a very tricky space to be in, and you don't know how long it's going to go. I mean, if you look at aged care, or disability there's a different time frames around that or maybe preparation with cancer you don't really know what's happening tomorrow or what's happening next week so it's a very intense experience.
0: So Martina you started the carer's couch what was your plan when you started that what did you hope to achieve?
1: Initially I was very patient focused as I caring for Anula for two years that's all you think about is the patient but it came apparent very quickly after Anula's passing that her care network was unsupported to a degree during the care and also after so the passion and the purpose around building a stronger support network for unpaid carers of cancer patients And making care more manageable for friends and family and and colleagues or whoever is affected was probably my biggest driver. And I didn't really know how to do this. It's a big beast. Healthcare is super fragmented. And I don't even think patients get enough support in that system. So starting off with carers who have a different but similar journey was an interesting one, to say the least. So I've been shaking a lot of hands. And it started off with advocacy, traveling and meeting pretty much everybody under the sun, who I believed was valuable, who was an expert in their field, if it was carers or healthcare professionals, community organisations. And it started off with how can I make this a bit easier for carers to navigate and how can I catch them earlier in the piece, so at the point of diagnosis, to be able to check in with them later because, you know, their journey is quite uh, unpredictable.
0: Is there any other resource or, you know, dedicated support for carers that you knew of at the time?
1: Not at the time, to be quite honest, and I didn't look for it either. And then there are organisations out there dedicated to carers. A lot of them are probably under the NDIS or aged care model because that's their funding streams. Carers of oncology patients or chronic illness may be less so. And then it also needs to speak to you as a, as a demographic. You know, you need to be able to relate to it. It starts with accessibility, understanding, relatability and all of that. So to be honest, not at the time, and I guess that was one of the drivers, I wanted to create something which can cater for different uh, demographics, language, beliefs, stages of care, and so I decided to build a platform and a business which has no carer walking alone through diagnosis, treatment, remission, survivorship or end of life, wherever they are at their journey. So early intervention and prevention is probably something I'm focusing on the most to prevent my carers from getting unwell.
0: So you're saying that really someone has to care for the carer?
1: Yeah. It starts with, of course, the person close to the carer, being aware of as a society or, you know, organisations who employ carers and don't know that they have working carers amongst their employees. There's a lot of touch points where carers are and I guess the support network around them, the more they're educated around, you know, how to spot a carer, how to identify them, how to have the conversation, and then how to refer them on appropriately, I think that's important. Sometimes it is done with just a chat, which is also very beautiful if it's genuine and the carer feels safe to express. But the support network needs to be strong around a carer. And we know how isolating the experience is and also struggles in best of times to articulate what they need, where they're at, because they're so patient focused uh, all the time. So it's hard to help them at the same time. So I don't want to put pressure on any networks. We as a company trying to support those networks to support their carers, because it's not easy, you know, and creating those safe spaces to find out what's important to them and what could help them potentially, because there's no magic pill. We're very different individuals with different challenges.
0: Martina, what are the products that Carers Couch offers?
1: So, first of all, before I come to the products at Caris Couch, we're focusing on defining well being together. With the carer, well-being is different for everybody. Support means different things to people. And trying to find this out through our Couch Plus service. So we have tailored and personalized intimate discussions with the caregiver. We create on the back of those discussions recommendations, core design plans, which are across the emotional, economical, financial or social aspects of caring for them. We include coaching and check-ins, and there's a range of other things we provide for the carer, depending on the package they're on. Then we have the Couch app, which is an extension of our Couch Plus service. The carer can source their own support and create their own support plans on their terms 24-7, connect with expertise or peer support, chat, call, and join community groups,
0: That is easily located searching Carer's Couch on the App Store.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Either your couch or Carer's Couch or hop on our website. Because not everybody wants to chat with us and not everybody wants to or can use technology, we created the Couch Talk Cards, which takes you from a content perspective for the carer through the domains of life, you know, if it's relationship, how to navigate the hospital system or palliative care, legal, etc., and they're made to support difficult conversations with family members, patients, and themselves.
0: So people need the service when they need it. Martina, how do you make sure that where there are relationships or human connection that it actually works for the carer?
1: I mean, first of all, the carer has to find that out for themselves if a connection works for them, if it's offline or if it's online. If there is a connection which is draining them, then I probably wouldn't recommend pursuing that relationship. And if it's energising them or if it's valuable, then I definitely would recommend to pursue. So online, again, it's, it's the same thing. So we have carers who are vetted by us which, you know, then another carer can be sure that there are, you know, genuine. But at the same time, you can connect and disconnect. It's like a social network. So it's not, you know, we don't prescribe anything to anybody. It's on their terms at the time they need it. And I don't think that with, you know, a a support network like Carers Couch, It's not a lifestyle. You use it when you need it at that time. And then you might not want to hear from us for three months. But then in the back of your mind, you know we are there. So if you need to tap into support, you can at any time. And I think that's important. There is no, like the the plan is a very loose plan and the support is there when need be. So for me and Carers Couch, the aim is to connect with carers as early as possible. So we are able to check in. And the awareness is created that we are there. So even if it's, you know, end of life grief stage after years and years, if they want to have a chat, they have something to fall back onto instead of not being introduced to anything to start with. So I think that's the whole premises behind it. What we're pointing out are the details, but overall, safe space for carers to come when it's time for them to reach out.
0: What do you think's next? Where's the, you know, the next iteration, if you like, Martina?
1: Growing our networks and and reaching more carers and being able to, you know, have an advocacy presence and education piece for organisations who have carers amongst them, dealing with them on a daily basis, but potentially not knowing how to approach or, you know, even identify So if it's businesses or organizations, community organizations, which are not necessarily carers-focused, we believe it needs a razor-sharp focus and a solution to actually have a proper impact and not come with genuine crisis management programs. So I'm guessing... First of all, to strengthen those partnerships, create the awareness, have the conversation, and then adding more general commercial partnerships to our existing ones. And yeah, reaching more people, events. There's there's lots we have in store, but I think it's growing the network, strengthening those, reaching more carers, and yeah, being a key element of care for families of cancer patients.
0: Because, in fact, it's an interesting thought that a lot of organisations would have an employee assistance type program for their staff members who are experienced all kinds of personal issues. But you're saying there's an opportunity, in fact, to part, for organisations to partner with Carers Couch because presumably their staff will become carers on a probably regular basis.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, or already are but not identified as such. I mean, you know, there's lots of programs in which I'm really Happy and grateful for that organizations are actually looking at well being programs or already have them implemented. And as I said, crisis management and employee assist and so forth. This is just a very specific challenge and issues they're dealing with at the time of their lives. Might not be permanent, but certain emotions or challenges might be permanent in that space. And we want to highlight that, you know, you you can support your employers more from a general perspective, but to have an impact and, you know, when it comes to retention or just keeping them well, it needs a specific handle. And I don't believe that you can just say, you know, or you have cancer or you're caring for somebody with cancer, let's uh, put you on a program I come from an angle of saying let's get to know you intimately what you need in a couple of sessions and then find out if a program is good for you or if you need to see a psychologist or if maybe another service or expertise at that point in time might be more relevant for you. So it's more about uh, taking the time maybe a bit longer at the start to find out where they're at and then being able to connect them to the right resources, information and expertise at that time.
0: What's in it for a corporation, if you like, a small company to engage with Carers Couch when they might not know at the moment whether they'll ever need or their staff might ever need the service?
1: I mean, we can help in, in various ways. First of all, create the awareness, have the conversations, help management with those conversations with their staff assisting with, you know, material collateral to be able to approach the employee or highlight employees already in a caring role. And then having that end-to-end service to be able to look after their staff, to keep them well, to keep them working to a degree, but also help them from a non-work sense to manage life and family and their own survival in that sense. And then it's around retention, I guess, and well-being for the culture of the organisation. And there's lots of points around that, but it's more about creating healthy environments with tackling uh, specific issues with solutions which are made for those issues.
0: Moving forward, this is a complex kind of space that you're operating in. How From an organisational perspective, do you need to operate to make this sustainable?
1: I guess we are in a very fortunate position that Carers Couch is cancer agnostic, focusing on carers of cancer patients and chronic illness. And we have a very, very good and strong support network to start with. I, you know, I I do know intimately the industry, healthcare providers, charity, non-for-profit organizations in the space and commercial entities. And I guess because we can service them all and add value to their patients and carers, we have been fortunate to have very strong partnerships over the last four years and they continue to grow, which is beautiful. So it's about these genuine connections. You have an impact and it's needed and it's relevant. And that's how we grow very nicely as an organisation, that we have commercial partnerships such as philanthropy, a good mix of both to be able to operate in the years to come.
0: And if carers or organisations want to be in contact with you and Carers Couch, what should they do?
1: I, um, of course, would invite carers to connect with us, either find us on our website, download the app, call us, all details are on the website, or email us, and uh, we can take it from there. So everybody is welcome, invited, and, yeah, we're looking forward to meeting those families and carers on the couch.
0: And Martina, we'll put those details in the show notes, or as you say, carers' couch is really easy to find. That notion of caring for the carer is just so important and well done on the journey that you've undertaken. Go well.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure, Steve.
0: Cheers, Martina. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Civic Mind, specialists in governance and ethics for local and state government agencies. To find out more, head to the website civicmind.com.au. And so you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to Making a Difference in your favourite podcast app. And if you like the episode, please leave me a five-star review. It really helps other people to find the show. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'll speak to you next time.